Open your Bibles. Get something to take notes with. Thank you to all of you who are serving kids. Way to go. <laughs> matters. As, as the great Reverend Sam Best would say, it matters. <laughs> Sam's favorite phrase. <laughs> Open your Bible to John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. We started this year together doing a series uh, through January and most of February called Build the Home, where uh, we talked about the design of the Father for our lives, God's design for us as our Father in our lives. Over Lent, we spent time in a series called Union, Communion, and Partnership as we came to Jesus, the Son of God, and learned from Him how to pray. Was anybody here for any of that? Yeah. This morning, we are going to be starting our series, Come Holy Spirit, as we take from Easter until Pentecost Sunday here in a handful of weeks to learn about the Holy Spirit, and let that be our prayer. Lord, would you come? Would you come on us, Holy Spirit? So we're going to be reading in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16 this morning, so go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the Word of God. We're going to start in John chapter 14, verse 15. These are the words of Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you. And will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while. And the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live. Remember last week? Easter anybody? Because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know. That I am in my father. And you in me. And I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father and the Father is greater than I. Turn to John chapter 16. Verse 5. But now 
I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We've got part one of our series this morning simply titled, Who is the Holy Spirit? Let's pray together. Lord, we pray, come, Holy Spirit. We love you and we appreciate your presence this morning. We're so thankful to be here gathered in your holy name. Thank you for the songs that we've had to sing together. Thank you for the, the joy and the pleasure of being caught up in this room of people singing those words. Thank you for the gift that was just for me this morning, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your, blo- your body and your blood. Your body broken, your blood poured out, Lord. It is good to be together with your people and your body this morning. We thank you for all the other churches gathered in our city and around the nations today. Everybody gathering in your holy name, Lord, we thank you for our brothers and sisters. We thank you that we are one with them in you. We thank you, Lord, for your living word right now. We thank you, even just the the audible response to hearing your word this morning, so rich, so pure, Your word tells us the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. And it's so good. It's so good to see and hear and taste and receive your pure words this morning. We love you. We turn ourselves towards you as we open up your word to us and we anticipate you doing what you told us you would do. You would teach and rebuke and train and encourage and build us up according to every good work set out in advance for us to do, that we might partner with you in seeing your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let it be. Let it be, O oh God. Amen. You can take a seat. Anybody else sometimes just wish Jesus would show up in the flesh? You ever thought that? Have you said, or has anybody ever said to you, 
you know, if he would just be here, it'd be a little bit easier. If, if God would just show himself, I'd believe. Or if God would just show himself, then I know he's near. If God would just show himself, then I know that he hears me. You just wish sometimes God would speak audibly to you. You just wish sometimes Almighty God, who is present and good, would break through and change some things. You just wish you could physically see him just for a second, right? Right? You're not asking for much, just a second. (laughs) But Jesus himself tells us here that it is to our advantage that he is no longer here with us in the flesh but instead that he would send us another, the helper, the Holy Spirit. I remember growing up in church and in uh, Christian school, and I, um, I wish I would have paid more attention than I did. So there's that. <laughs> Caveat there. Anything I say I didn't learn, it's probably not because nobody told me. Anybody else? <laughs> it was hard of hearing back in the day. Uh, I wish I would have paid better attention. That being said, I was somewhat hungry. I had a heart for God. There were some things that stuck that were sown into me growing up. Um, I wasn't always hungry for the Lord, but sometimes I was. And, you know, I did grow, growing up, regardless of whether my heart was hard or soft or hungry or not, I, I did have a grid for the Father. You know, I had a grid that God was my father, and I had a grid for a bit of an understanding of Jesus, the Son. But I had more of a grid than for the Bible than the Holy Spirit, past those first two. Whatever reason it was, that's kind of where I was at. When I started going to um, Antioch in Waco, Texas, which is kind of the first church of the network of churches that we're part of, when I was a student at Baylor... It was the first time, or at least the first time I could remember, the first time that I noticed, that, um, that, I, that I was in a community of people that spoke about and taught about and sought after and externally pursued and lived in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Some of us, you know, maybe you've grown up in church, maybe you didn't, but when it comes to God, the Holy Spirit, there's like lots of disagreements and thoughts about these things, about this thing, about this God, Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, some, depending on your background or lack thereof, some people would consider the Holy Spirit or think of the Holy Spirit as like a denominational preference. You know, if you're Pentecostal, you believe in the Holy Spirit, you know. Some think of the Holy Spirit as a seasonal experience. Some think of the Holy Spirit and uh, reduce him to a feeling or goosebumps. Some consider him uh, a New Testament amendment to the plan of God. Some have used the Holy Spirit to build themselves up. But the Bible doesn't teach us any of those things. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is God. 
The Bible teaches us that if we want to know God, we must know the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us that if we want to walk with God, we must walk with the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us that if we want to believe in God, we must believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that God is one in nature and three in persons. This is the word Trinity. Anybody familiar with the word Trinity? Show of hands. Who can fully explain it? Yeah, okay. Let's just get that set out straight out. We, we believe in the Trinity, the triune God. We believe that God, what that means is one in nature and three in persons. And as evidenced by the hands, uh, that's hard to understand. It's hard to understand how we say and confess that God is one in three. How can you be one in nature but three in persons? Because we're fairly familiar with people, right? Yeah, it's not a trick question. You are one. You know some. We get it. I'm one person. And you are one person, and we are two different people, right? So that, that's, that's tough for us. But we must remember that God, if we want to understand the Trinity, begin to understand the Trinity, we have to start with understanding that God is not made in our image. We are made in his image. In the same way that Christ's love for the church is not an image of marriage, right? Marriage is an image of Christ's love in the church, So our personhood is an image of his personhood. Okay, so what I'm trying to say is uh, the way St. Thomas Aquinas said this, we're going to quote a lot of old dead people today, so just roll with it. (laughs) Because those are the best ones. St. Thomas Aquinas points out, he says, the eternal comes before the temporal. So in our understanding, we've got to understand the eternal comes before the temporal. That's why, remember Build the Home, we were talking about all of these things. The way that we understand our temporal life is first by understanding and confessing the eternal things. Because the eternal things are eternal, right? They came first. And us, we are images of something else. Are we, are we tracking so far? So without getting into too many definitions, we we can simply just say that, and we can agree on this, that when we say person, when you call someone a person, it is a title or it is a label of dignity, right? We believe that people have dignity. When you call someone a person, that carries weight, that carries dignity. It's different than saying animal. Well, maybe we don't all agree on that, but we need... (laughs) It's true, though. <laughs> oh, gosh. Now we're sidetracked. Other things. Okay. So person, person is, is a label. It's a title of, of dignity. Every person has dignity because he is made in the image of God, right? That's what we mean when we say persons. So every person has dignity because he's made in the image of God, and God is three persons in one. So our personhood is some sort of image of what is eternal in him. Now, the dignity of divine nature, St. Thomas Aquinas says, excels every other dignity. So God is more dignified than any of us, 
right? So we can, okay. oh yeah, okay, now we're tracking. He's hard to understand. Okay, so he says this, the dignity of the divine nature excels every other dignity, and thus the name person preeminently belongs to God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he was three persons before there was ever any of us people or person. It, it, the, the, person the, the word person doesn't first describe us. And then we project that onto his three persons. There is something eternal and preeminent in him, in the word we say person, that then we are just some small image of. That's why it's confusing. Personhood is understood by understanding God. God is not understood by understanding persons. Okay, so we, we like to look at us and then we, we like look at God as a reflection in our own selves, right? That's not, but that's, that's when it gets weird because that's weird because that's not how it works. We are his image, he is not ours. So all that to say, we don't get to be satisfied. We don't get to be satisfied with the Father and the Son, but keep the Holy Spirit at arm's length because he is God. We don't get to say that we are saved by this Christian faith, but only receive two persons of the triune God who has revealed himself to us and called us to himself. The Bible tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God first must believe he exists. Which means we have to believe that God exists as God tells us he exists, which means we must believe that he exists as he really is. And he says he is three persons in one. So we must believe that God exists and we must believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. If you want to please God, you have to have faith. And this is what faith is. Faith believes that he exists and believes that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. The Bible teaches us that evidence of faith is belief, that when you come into the secret place, the Father who sees in secret rewards you in secret with himself. Amen. Right? Yeah. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Evidence of faith is belief that the only way to come to the Father is to receive his Son, who the Father has given to us and who gave himself up for us. Isn't that what being a Christian is? Believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. By faith, we believe that, and we receive that reward when we come to him. Evidence of faith is believing that when you come to the Father through the Son, that then the Son and the Father come to you and make their home in you by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what Jesus just promised us? Evidence of faith is, believe, is believing that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you are adopted by the Father through the Spirit of the Son. That's what we believe. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be a Christian. We don't get to pick two of the three and call ourselves good. If we want God, we've got to actually want God. Not just our version of him. Not just our own image of him. And not even just what we can understand of him. We must receive him as he is. And believe him according to who he is. 
We do not believe in the Holy Spirit because we are charismatic or Protestant or because we like certain worship music or because some people like to clap or whistle during some songs or because you might like to dance or you believe in that some dreams come from God sometimes or any of that. We believe in the Holy Spirit because we are Christians. That's why we believe in the Holy Spirit. We are Christians. And to be a Christian, we have to believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit because we are Christians and we are baptized into his one body by one spirit. And we are eager to maintain the unity of, not of Antioch, not of whatever, We are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That's what we are eager for. We have laid down our eagerness to be unified around anything else first. And we have picked up God's eagerness that we be united in His Spirit, by His Spirit as his body, of which he is the head. One head, one body, one spirit. Remember last week, one faith, one baptism, one Lord. This is what we believe. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, and we are eager to do it in the bond of peace. Not our peace, but the peace that Jesus gives. And he gives us his peace. He doesn't leave us. He just told us. He won't leave us without his peace. And he doesn't give as the world gives, but he does give peace. And he gives peace in the Holy Spirit. The helper coming to be with us, which is more advantageous than Jesus being with us in the flesh. Don't ask me. I didn't write it. That's just the truth. That's what he said. We believe in the Holy Spirit because we're Christians. That's why we believe in the Holy Spirit. So cute. Oh, my gosh. I just want to hold him. <laughs> last week, we walked through the Apostles' Creed. Was anybody here last week for... Easter Sunday, walking through the Apostles' Creed, so rich, so good to do, just talking about what do we believe? What is this confession of faith? And the Apostles' Creed, it's kind of our oldest, most broadly accepted statement of faith as Christians. It goes back a long, long time, and the things that it says, the 12 statements in there are the things that all Christians have always agreed on. There's a lot we don't agree on, but these 12 things we do, and that is amazing and so helpful. And we've talked about this on our podcast before, but these are the 12 things that, that unify all of us as Christians. And these are the central things. We may fight about a lot of things, but as long as we've got these things, we're still brothers together. We're still sisters, which means we definitely still fight. <laughs> but we're still family. <laughs> and it's so rich to, to, to lean on that. Not long after the Apostles' Creed was written around that same time frame, There was another creed written, the the Athanasian Creed. 
don't know if you've ever heard of this, the Athanasian Creed. And, and the reason that creeds were written is because there's so many disagreements. So disagreements and disagreements in the church are not a new thing. Just so uh, for we can know, you know, like it's, it's always been this way. We've always been trying to figure out what do we believe exactly and uh, what are the things that are in or out between you and me? What are, what are, the, what are the hard lines? What are, what are the things we go to war over and what are the things we just argue about but we still sit down at the table together and take of the body and the blood? What are those things? And so early on in the church, uh, thankfully, Godly, smart people, lots of them, worked hard together and sought the Lord in prayer to try to write down these creeds. And so some of you, I know, hadn't even heard of the Apostles' Creed till last week, but the Apostles' Creed is, is amazing and a, just a great thing to know about and would encourage you to spend time understanding that. Uh, another creed is the Nicene Creed. Uh, again, written and accepted and adopted, similar time. So this is like before the Reformation, before the split of the Eastern and Western Church. This goes back. And even in those splits, we still agree on these things, which is awesome. So the Nicene Creed, so the Apostles' Creed is fairly short. We always do the old Roman Creed, which if you were paying attention this morning, we read before church started, and you're like, it's kind of like the Apostles' Creed, but there's some differences there. Right? So it's basically an earlier version of the Apostles' Creed. So we're just throwing all the ones we can at you. Yeah. I'm just trying to teach you that you're a part of something that's been around for a long time. And it's been through, around, it's been through a lot. And so you can trust. You, it is rich that when we come together, we have inherited the history of the church. And, and shame on us if we, because we are young think that we are smarter and better and not in need of anybody who came before us. But let us stand on the shoulders of the great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us not be foolish and isolate ourselves. Proverbs says that the fool isolates himself. Let us not isolate ourselves from the beautiful, rich, living body of Christ. And so, I don't know where I was at. We're talking about the Nicene Creed probably, but... (laughs) That's a good one, and uh, it's a little longer than the Apostles' Creed, and so that one's got some other stuff in it because it was focusing. A lot of times what happened was a heresy would come up, and so the church would feel like, well, we've got to take care of that. And so the creed was kind of the correction to anchor the church in the middle of a heresy. So the Apostles' Creed is the brief one that's just straight up. It's just, here's the Christian faith. So if you're outside of these boundaries, you're outside of the faith. The Nicene Creed picked up on particular things. The Athanasian Creed specifically is dealing with the Trinity. That was a long introduction to get to that. So the Athanasian Creed expands on what we believe about the nature of the triune God when we say the Trinity. So I'm going to read you uh, part of it. And just this part is long. So if you're expecting the Apostles' Creed, you're going to be disappointed. (laughs) This one's longer and we're not even going to read all of it. But this is intense because this is, one of, this is the only one of the three creeds I've mentioned that actually explicitly talks about if you don't believe this, you're not in the faith. We, just, we believe that about the other ones, but this one just like says it explicitly. Whoever wants to be saved should above all cling to the Catholic faith, the universal faith. Whoever does not guard it whole and inviolable will doubtless perish eternally. Now this is the Catholic faith. We worship one God in Trinity, and the Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the divine being. You may not understand all this, but it tastes good. It is rich. Oh, so good. 
So just like let it get you, okay? And then study it later. We worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the divine being. For the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Spirit is still another. But the deity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-eternal in majesty. What the Father is, the Son is, and so is the Holy Spirit. Uncreated is the Father, uncreated is the Son, uncreated is the Spirit. The Father is infinite, the Son is infinite, the Holy Spirit is infinite. Eternal is the Father, eternal is the Son, eternal is the Spirit. And yet there are not three eternal beings, but one who is eternal. As there are not three uncreated and unlimited beings, but one who is uncreated and unlimited. Almighty is the Father, Almighty is the Son, Almighty is the Spirit. And yet there are not three almighty beings, but one who is almighty. Thus the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods, but one God. Thus the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord, and yet there are not three lords, but one Lord. As Christian truth compels us to acknowledge each distinct person as God and Lord, so Catholic religion forbids us to say that there are three gods or lords. The Father was neither made nor created nor begotten. The Son was neither made nor created but, alone, but was alone begotten of the Father. The Spirit was neither made nor created but is proceeding from the Father and the Son. Thus, there is one Father, not three fathers. One Son, not three sons. One Holy Spirit, not three spirits. And in this Trinity, no one is before or after, greater or less than, but all three persons are in themselves co-eternal and co-equal. And so we must worship the Trinity in unity and the one God in three persons. Whoever wants to be saved should think thus about the Trinity. It just, it tastes like 1,700 years of faith, doesn't it? Through a great schism, through a reformation, through empires rising and falling, through nations rising and falling, through families starting and ending, through wars and earthquakes and famines, this has stood. And this is what we believe. The Holy Spirit is God. Some more dead people for you. Again, St. Thomas Aquinas says, All that exists in God is one with the divine nature. God is his own essence. Holy is his name. That's what that means. He says, In God, distinction is by the persons and not by the essence. We say that the Father is other than the Son, but not something else. While conversely, we say that they are one thing, but not one person. There are also several realities real in the divine nature, which means that there are several persons in God. I love that. There's, there's multiple realities in the divine nature of God. That's why you can't get it. <laughs> Ambrose says that the Father and the Son are one in Godhead. 
Not is there any difference in substance between them, nor any diversity. Hillary says that in the divine persons, there is nothing diverse, nothing alien, nothing separable. St. Augustine says that when we speak of three persons, we do not imply diversity. There is one essence of the Father and Son and Holy Ghost, in which the Father is not one thing, the Son another, and the Holy Ghost another. Although the Father is one person, the Son another, and the Holy Ghost another. Augustine says this, when we ask three what, we say three persons. He says, therefore, the Holy Spirit is the name of a divine person. That's why it's right to say and call out to and pray to and worship the Holy Spirit. It is his name. And Gregory says the Holy Ghost himself is love. And Jesus says to us, I will ask my father and he will give you another paraclete. That's where we get the word helper or comforter. I will ask my father and he will give you another helper. He will give you another comforter. He will give you the very spirit of truth. Jesus said to us, don't go wait until you receive the promise of the father. And not many days from now, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? In Genesis 1, he is hovering over the waters of the deep, pregnant with all of creation. In Exodus 3, he is the burning bush, and 13, the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. In Leviticus 9, he is the supernatural fire from heaven on the altar. In Numbers 9, he is the cloud of presence over the tabernacle. In Deuteronomy 10, he is the circumciser of the heart. In Joshua, he is the counselor of the commander of the Lord's army. In Judges, he is the power behind the judges to call the people of God back to himself. In Ruth, he is Ruth's sustenance to allow her relationship with her Redeemer. In Samuel, he is the voice of God to his people. In Kings and Chronicles, he is the mantle of the prophets and kings. In Ezra and Nehemiah, he is our restorer. In Esther, he is our advocate. In Job, he is our upholder. In Psalm 18, he is our rescuer. And in 23, he is our river of living water. In Proverbs, he is the spirit of wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he lifts our eyes towards eternity in the midst of this temporal life. In Song of Solomon, he is the very love of God. In Isaiah 7, he is the revelation of God on earth. And in Isaiah 61, he is our anointing. In Jeremiah 31, he is the knowledge of the Lord written on our hearts. In Lamentations 3, he is our new mercies every day. In Ezekiel 37, he is life in our dry bones. In Daniel 3, he is our excellent spirit. In Hosea, he is our purity. In Joel 2, he is God outpoured on all flesh. In Amos, he bears us up under our burdens. In Obadiah, he is our inheritance of the kingdom of God. In Jonah 4, he is the shade tree of compassion. In Micah, he is the one who declares the coming Savior. In Nahum, he is the voice of judgment. In Habakkuk, he is near to his people to save. He is our strength who makes our feet like the deers that we might tread on high places. In Zephaniah 3, he is in our midst, mighty to save, rejoicing over us with gladness, quieting us with his love, and exulting over us with loud singing. In Haggai, he stirs us up to build the house of the Lord. And in Zechariah 3, he is greater than our might and greater than our power. He is our ability. And in Malachi 4, he is the restorer of our hearts. Who is the Holy Spirit? In Matthew... He is the revelation of the kingdom of God. In Mark, he is the power of God. 
In Luke, he is the burning of the hearts on the road to Emmaus. In John, he is the promised one to come, our paraclete. He convicts the sinners of his sin and saint of his righteousness. In Acts, he is the life of the church. In Romans 8, he is our adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. In 1 Corinthians 12, he empowers us. In 2 Corinthians 12, he is strength made perfect in our weakness. In Galatians 3, he is grace in our new beginning. In Ephesians, he is our unity in our offensive weapon, the sword against the devil. In Philippians, he is the power of the resurrection. In Colossians chapter 1, he is Christ in us, the hope of glory. In Thessalonians, he is our worthiness. In Timothy, he is our authority. In Hebrews, he is our assurance and endurance. In James, he is our integrity. In Peter, he is our holiness. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he is our trustworthy spirit. In Jude, he is our perseverance. In Revelation 22, he is our companion standing with us, calling out to Jesus, come. If you're feeling like that's a lot, you're in the best of company. St. Augustine said of trying to understand the Trinity, of to understand the Trinity, nowhere is error more harmful, the quest more toilsome, and the finding more fruitful. Oh, that we would carefully toil for the fruitful revelation of the Holy Spirit. Your brain is probably spinning while your heart is kind of pounding. This is confusing and yet invigorating, confounding yet stirring, odd yet comforting, so impossible to comprehend, yet so obviously true and right. And that's good. Don't try to make that stop. Don't feel like you need to pick your mind or your heart one over the other. Don't feel like you need to get either under control. This, what you're experiencing, is just what happens when Almighty God graces mortal man with a glimpse of himself. You don't need to follow your heart. It cannot imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. You don't need to trust your head. It is impossible to attain the knowledge of the Trinity by natural reason. The knowledge of God is only attained by faith, not because faith requires the rejection of reason, but because faith comes before reason. Don't try to grasp Him. Let Him grasp you. Don't try to understand Him. Just know Him. Don't try to explain Him. Receive him. Don't try to control him. Surrender and follow him. Receive the Lord. Receive the Holy Spirit. For he himself is the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of God. Know him as he has made himself known to us. Oh, that we would be a people who surrender, who lay down, Confess and come before the Lord and pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's stand as we close together this morning. Our prayer team is going to be available. If you need prayer for anything in your life before you leave church this morning, please come and get your prayer that you need. Stand with somebody else. And let's pray in unity together. 
Lord, we love you and we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the revelation of you. And over these next few weeks, we turn our attention towards you again. And with unity and with hunger, with need and desperation and with faith, we make this our prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. Show yourself to us, Lord. Give us faith to believe. Give us courage to follow you. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear who you really are. We lay ourselves down. We cry out, come, Holy Spirit.